Hello and welcome to Overtime, Dribble's audio companion. I'm Dan Cedarholm, your host. This is episode four. And today we're talking with Bethany Heck, a graphic designer currently hailing in Seattle, Washington, working for Microsoft. Uh, she's originally from Auburn, Alabama, where she graduated from Auburn University. And her work, which is amazing, has been featured in New York Magazine, The New Yorker, Wired, Smashing Magazine, Uppercase Magazine, and more. She is creator of the EFIS League, which is a collection of baseball minutiae, as she says, scorebooks and posters and sort of bringing the design of baseball, uh, vintage baseball, uh, together with physical products. Uh, it's really, really an amazing brand. And um, we were excited to talk to her today about that, about her background and um, her uh, sort of journey to where she is today, and talk about a few of her dribble shots. And it was a really good time. So here we go. So, yes, welcome Bethany Heck to Overtime. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay. We're, we're always excited to talk to awesome people, and um, you are one of those awesome people because we've been <laughs> following your work for a long time and, uh, and been big fans of it. And there's like, it's like actually a ton, of, ton to talk about here. So I just want to jump right in because... There's a lot to get to, and there's like so much I want to hopefully get to and make sure we get to. So, anyway, we, we always start with just like what you know, who are you? What what where you're from? Basically, is the is the first opening question. Sure. Um, so I'm from originally from Auburn, Alabama, um, and I have worked in a lot of different places across the country. But I'm currently at Microsoft, um, working as the creative lead for Power BI uh, in Seattle, Washington. Nice, nice, Seattle. So, and what's BI's? I've I've seen this name and I've seen the team on Dribble and everything. What is is BI business something probably? Business intelligence. Business intelligence. Okay, awesome. In Seattle. Okay, cool. And so, did you grow up in Auburn or? Um, yeah, my yeah. dad's actually a graphic design professor at Auburn University. Oh no way! Oh wow! So it runs in the family then. Yes. Um, and Auburn has a giant football team. Well, yes. I mean, not, the team isn't self isn't giant, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think, if I'm correct, so I have a friends that are from Alabama, actually. And uh, we also have an employee in Alabama, too, actually. So, um, but uh, Auburn, Auburn's uh, big rivalry is probably Al- University of Alabama. So, yes. Yeah. And that's a big, uh, big deal. Yeah. They, they call it the Iron Bowl. Oh, really? Every time they play? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So okay, so Auburn, Auburn, Alabama, which is awesome. What part of Alabama is that? Like roughly in the Auburn's region? kind of in the the little point on the right side of Alabama. There's like a little oh, point yeah. that comes out, and it's just kind of yeah. sits right there. So it's very close to the Georgia border. Oh, cool. Okay, awesome. That's that's fantastic. You know, I was I was, I was mentioning those are football football rivalries I mentioned earlier. I think we're probably going to get into some baseball talk today, but. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to clear that up in case for those that don't know. All right, so cool. So you so you grew up and now you're in Seattle. And how do you like Seattle? First of all, from I like see I like it a lot. I have lived in a bunch of different places. I've lived in Baltimore. I've been lived in Boston, South Carolina, Austin, Texas. Um, but oh, wow. Seattle's probably my favorite. Oh, um, awesome. It's very, it's so pretty here. I actually don't mind it when it's overcast. Like I find that re- relaxing. There's days like today where it's absolutely beautiful and it's like 65 degrees outside. It's perfect. Oh, see, um, I, I totally agree. Uh, that's my kind of weather too. Yeah. So uh, uh, it's it's like you're you're never more than 30 minutes away from like hiking up the side of a mountain and um, the food's great uh, and uh, you know there's the water and everything else here so I've really I've really liked it here that's awesome that's great now how did you I mean in terms of design like how did you get into that did you go to school for that or did you were you interested like when you were younger or what's your path there to, to design even though my dad was a graphic design professor I wasn't super like aware of graphic design as a practice or like what it was. I knew that like my dad always put me in art camps when I was a kid and um, that kind of art history side of things was important to him. But I was not 
uh, I would not have considered myself an artistic or creative child. I did not do well in the art classes that I took. Um, I remember I had a, I had a, you know, kind of teacher at one of those tell me like, you're really bad at this for being the daughter of a graphic designer. So <laughs> wow. Ouch. I, I didn't have Jeez. a natural, uh, any natural talent when it came to uh, traditional, you know, fine art type things. Um, right. And I didn't like, I, 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 watch, I would watch my dad work sometimes and I knew that he, you know, used special programs and that we had Macs and that was unusual but I didn't start getting into anything that was resembling graphic design until I got into about junior high and started watching uh, anime and getting really into the artwork and wanting to take pictures and like make collages out of them and throw awful Photoshop filters over them. And <laughs> I kind of I got into that that side of things. And so I kind of I don't know what you would call that now, like some sort of weird digital digital art whatever and um so I did that and you know but you know figured out what defonts was and downloading awful free typefaces and just kind of from there you know learns uh, learned some of the adobe suite and started learning about web design because I wanted to have a way to catalog all these awful things that I was making <laughs> and um so that was web design was really the kind of avenue of design that I felt like I wanted to pursue you know I knew uh, you know I was teaching myself html and css and I was I found that really interesting and kind of learning the the visual design side of things at the same time and yeah. so my dad was very against me going into graphic design um he wanted me to do something that was, you know, he was like, it's super competitive and you'll never make any money. And I was a good student. So he kind of, I guess, thought that that was a, a waste and that I needed to do anything other than go into graphic design. But <laughs> I eventually talked him into letting me go to Auburn and it's worked out so far. Uh, yeah, it absolutely has. Um, did you have your father as a professor then? I couldn't have him for any of the early classes. I don't think I had him until my senior year. Um, so anything involving like getting into the program and all that, uh, like he could not um, have me as a student. Um, I so I had him for, I think, one class um, my senior year. Um, and he was super hands-off. Like he, he didn't give me a lot of, yeah. of input or suggestions on things. He just kind of, you know, threw up his hands and said, do what you want to do and, and <laughs> stepped back. <laughs> Oh, that's good. So he didn't um, he didn't compensate then for for giving his daughter like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be really hard on 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 you this this semester. Uh. Thankfully, no. Okay, um, there were there were other like things like I think uh, definitely starting off before I you know we all got to kind of know each other. I think a lot of the other students treated me like I was an arc, so I had to. <laughs> Oh, I had no. to I had to win their friendship oh, by, right, by, with like type right. like oh look at these typefaces that I have or this thing that I've learned how to do in Photoshop mm. and you know just kind of had to like bash my way into yeah. friendship. You're like the inside <laughs> line to the the professor. I could yeah. see that. Wow. All right. Like so. Other than, other than your dad, I mean, was there were there any were there any mentors along the way too for you? Like uh, even post college or just getting started or. You know, people that that you know inspired you to go where you where you are today. Um, other than my dad, the biggest influence that I've had as a designer has been a professor um, that I had at Auburn. Her name is Sam. She's just gotten remarried, and I am blanking on her new last name. But um, she she's one of those like the they call her the Velvet Hammer. Just you know, delivering very harsh feedback in the nicest way possible, um, <laughs> having very high standards, and I was uh, super intimidated by her um, when I first had her because she and my dad were very close, and so I knew that she was she was not going to cut me any slack. Mm. Um, and uh, she was the first one who, who like encouraged me to look into teaching as a profession, and she's just always been somebody who. Has found has motivated me in a way that that has actually stuck in work and not like caused me to push back in a in a bad way. Um, yeah. And um, I I value her her input more than just about anybody else's. So mm. um, she's super important to me. Wow! Oh, that's great. Is 
Do you think her velvet hammer approach, um, <laughs> I like that term, uh, became helpful later on? Like when you're dealing with projects and clients or teams, like where you're, where criticism can be, you know, it can be hard to take or uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that her and then the other professors that that I had at Auburn were were very like a lot of the very early professors were also the most like critical when it came to input and so I think that that's good to have early on in your design education because you learn to sort of disassociate yourself from the work Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still kind of I still have to remind myself that a lot of people don't didn't have that experience and so you run into people where you like make very minor suggestions. Like, have you considered like this fact about this color, this part of the, con- that like, not even like where you're, you're coming at them. And it's just like, have you thought about the, how this is coming off? And right. they will just like totally get, you know, full defenses, like guns firing, you know, yeah. total panic mode. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming at you. This is not a personal thing. This is just an observation. It's okay. Like, right. Let's take a breath. Right, right, right. It's hard sometimes to separate the, the how personal the work can be. Um, I think you're. That's a really good point. I, I, so I didn't go to design school, and um, so I, I didn't get that criticism training, for lack of a better term, uh, that you're talking about. And um, that seems like it would be really valuable because that's something you kind of, if you don't have experience with it, you kind of learn quickly. Like, whoa, okay, yeah, this is you know, not everything I do is 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 going to be great and well received and um other people's opinions matter and you can get good feedback from people so that's really good advice i'm trying to think of if you so if you didn't have the school experience how could you get that otherwise maybe you learn i guess maybe you learn that from from the clients you work with or i guess you learn the hard way in other words um yeah, uh, you know. you, yeah, you can definitely learn through through difficult experience through clients. Sports are a great way of learning that you're not great at everything. I found. Um, <laughs> oh, playing. That's sports. another thing. Yeah. That's another thing. And designers never, are not never do sports. So, like, I don't know. Like, you you learn things like that when you do. Th- you, you know, like you're not always going to win, and there are people who are better at certain things. You know, you learn these things just the act of it's participating true. as in certain things, particularly when you're younger, um, yeah, that, yeah. that you, when you kind of step back and look at it as an adult, it's like, oh, well, maybe that's why, you know, I do or do not struggle with certain things is because I did or didn't have these, you know, kind of exposure to this type of conflict or, you know, yeah. pushback or, you know, questions when, when I was younger. <laughs> oh, I think you're right. I mean, I, my, my son, he's 10 and he's, the only sport he plays is basketball, but Every you know, so far he's gotten a trophy every time you know he plays, and that's kind of that. That's kind of the way that it works now these days, yes. where everyone kind of where everyone kind of does win, uh, which breeds probably uh, an interesting designer. Um, in that you know, maybe that's where the person personal part comes in, where you're sort of no, this you know, I'm 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 special and I'm a designer and I. <laughs> I should get a trophy every time I play. I don't know. Uh, it's it, it's, it, it, it's yeah. hard because I know that I've had people ask me about dribble specifically, and they'll say, well, do you feel like there's not enough like serious critique going on in dribble? And it's just like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's what it's best for because sometimes you just want to have something, you want to put something out, and you just want to get positive feet. Like, you don't want anything. You know, yeah. you just need to like prove to yourself like, I can make something that other people like. And, yeah. you, you, you know, the fact that there's not a serious discourse going on about what that thing is, is it, that doesn't mean that it's bad. Like, sometimes you're, like, there's an artistic component to being a designer. There's a creative mm-hmm. component to you. Sometimes you just need, so I don't want to come off like I'm somebody who's like, no, it's a war and, you know, you should always strive to be better and, you know, all yeah, this other yeah. kind of stuff because that kind of rubs me the wrong way and yeah, um yeah. and so i do think that there's definitely you know there's definitely a, a component to design that i think people need to have a little bit more fun with it and not take it so seriously all the time yeah amen i'm glad you said that um i totally agree i think um you know there is an artistic component and there's a problem solving component to design right and and yeah i think you're absolutely right in that sometimes you just want to share what you're doing and and get positive feedback. I mean, it is feedback getting, uh, you know, hey, that, that looks great. It's like, okay, I'm on the right track. Um, 
I, I totally agree. I think that balance is important, you know. Before I, we're going to talk about like specific some specific things on dribble that you've created, and I think the shots that I've chosen to show kind of cover um, some cool stuff that you've been working on, and we're going to dive into that. But before that, I'm wondering, you know, when you're not creating awesome work, what do you like to do in in Seattle? And and um, other, I mean, I guess sports is probably maybe one. I do. I do enjoy sports, though. Yeah. I'm taking a break from the the Braves right now because they're rebuilding and they're really bad. Oh, right, um, right. So I don't need I don't need that that failure every night added to my plate. So <laughs> so I'm you kind of, you grew up a Braves fan then, or yes? Okay, I was gonna yeah, I was gonna say what what are the options in Alabama? Can you go a different direction too? Like, or is everybody a Braves fan? Because a lot of people are Braves fans. Yeah. Um, you, there aren't a lot of ba- – I did, didn't, didn't encounter a ton of other baseball fans in general in Alabama. Most of, most of the time it's football. Football. It's um, yeah. huge. But um, most people in Alabama tend to, tend to favor the Atlanta sports teams, like the professional teams, so the, yeah. the Falcons and right, right, for, right. For, for, for the NFL and things like that. Yep, yep. So the, the Braves, you're taking a break from the Braves, probably a good idea. I – Thought I was going to take a break from the Red Sox again, but uh, apparently they're they're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, so far, <laughs> we'll see. Well, um, they, they've got the, the Yankees are having such a hard time this year that you know yeah. that, that'll make it a little bit easier for them. Yeah, that's that's kind of kind of delicious for me because uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like we, I, I, I take years like this with the Yankees is like a it's like yeah. a gift. Like I need to try to appreciate this. <laughs> absolutely, it doesn't, it doesn't happen very often. It, it's absolutely true. It's been a long time since since any kind of start of the season was like this for them. Um, so I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. <laughs> so uh, in terms of your work too, though, back to your work, like. So you, you went to school in Auburn and you, you learned a bunch of things and you got I love the anime kind of I mean not to not to like generalize what your your path here, but like you know, getting into anime or you know, art that way and then learning photo like that's a very familiar path, I think, for people like where there's an interest about something and then it's like the the internet and technology kind of help foster that into a career, maybe, you know. So what was what was it like going from design school to a very talented, well-respected designer that's creating awesome things and working at Microsoft and all that kind of stuff. Is there like, was it, was it a, was there like a long freelance period or did you start with agency work or? or? I've started at agencies. Um, So I worked at a little, a very little studio in Auburn right after I graduated until I went to grad school. I spent a semester, I actually spent a semester of the MFA program at MICA. Um, oh right, okay. Because Great. I wanted to, I wanted to get an MFA so I could teach because that was what I always thought my career yeah. path was going to be. And that's in, ba- um, in Baltimore, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's in Baltimore, um, and it was not a good fit for me. So um, after that, I spent some time in Boston uh, at a, a web agency that was very small. I think it was just like six employees. And then after that, I went to a bigger firm in South Carolina that was about 30 people total, uh, and that was also a web design agency. So those, those, those jobs are good about like uh, kind of filling in the gaps that I had from Auburn is not a very strong web and interactive program. So even though that was what I was interested in, I wasn't getting to actually learn a lot of that in school. I was having to still teach myself. So getting to go to those web, those web design agencies, like being forced to learn, like learn SAS and learn some jQuery, um, and getting to work in, um, on responsive sites was a great learning, uh, environment for that. And then, um, particularly at the job that I had in, had in South Carolina, like it was the right kind of like work-life balance that let me kind of settle down and, um, do, do more exploration into personal projects and learn what works for me at a, at a, at a day job. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, some of my earlier experiences hadn't been super, um, positive. They weren't, they, they were not like the right 
you know, kind of like work environment for me. So getting to be there and be there for like a year and a half and kind of learn about like, okay, these are the types of people that I like to work with. These are the things that, you know, this is kind of like what I feel like I need to be successful in terms of deliverables for me to get something done. And, you know, just kind of like by doing, you start to, you know, working at these different places, you start to learn what does and doesn't work for you. So that was really helpful. Um, and then after that, I was at IBM for a year working in the mobile innovation lab. And um, the fun part about that was kind of like being involved in sort of the building of the team, um, mm-hmm. kind of like doing the, you know, Ocean's Eleven, like calling up all the people that I wanted to work with and <laughs> saying like, hey, you want to come to, you know, come live in Austin and work at IBM and do some cool stuff on mobile apps. It does sound fun. It was fun. It was so that was a good run. And then Microsoft came calling and I uh, kind of got to do that same thing again here, but you know, in a different and you know, different type of, you know, it's a different city, it's a different type of product. Like Power BI is such a complicated thing. That's been it's been an interesting like you know, it's an interesting situation to like call somebody up and be like, I want you to come to the less, the least sexy city in America to work at Microsoft, which you as a designer probably think is the worst company in the world to work on a business intelligence product. It's a, not an easy, <laughs> no. it's not an easy sell, but well, we've been able to, you know, it, we've been able to do great work and get a lot of really, really good people uh, here despite that. And that's what's made oh. it so fun. Oh, that's awesome. I, I would, so I would argue that Seattle is, is very is a very cool city, but then again, I'm in Boston, so you know weather weather doesn't like. I guess if you if, if you grow up somewhere sunny, you're gonna be like, ah, I'm not going to Seattle. But um, I think there's a lot of cool things happening there. And a lot of people have a hard time with just the knowing that it's going to rain or and or be cloudy a lot. That yeah. is like a huge turnoff. A lot of people oh, are like I see, in right, Seattle, right. like I you know, like I, I do run into a lot of people who are like immediately put off by the idea of coming here. I, I, I yeah, I totally get that, and I, I I'm the opposite. I'm like yeah. I like to wear jackets and pants. <laughs> yes. You know? I love it. Winter clothes are the best clothes. That's yeah. my favorite part about being here. It's like yeah. I have like 30 different jackets, right. and I can wear them all for like many months out of the year. Exactly. It's great. Exactly. See? So for jacket aficionados, Seattle's yes. great. Or maybe just that 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 latitude is good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And also Microsoft, like, you know, doing a lot of interesting things lately, I think. And I I love Bill Gates now. <laughs> I love him. Him and his wife, they're doing such amazing things. They do. They do a lot of really good work yeah. for just other people in general. Yeah. It's it's really cool to see somebody who's been that successful do do turn around and then try to do good with uh with all the, you know, kind of fruits of his labor. Which I, is cool. I agree. It's really cool to see. Uh really refreshing. Well, cool. So, I, let's get get into some of your work because I it's so good and <laughs> Thank you. I want to I want to talk first about um I guess I, I want to dive right into the to the EFIS League. Am I pronouncing that right? Hopefully. Yes. Okay, good. Phew. The EFIS League. Um and so this this is a you have, you know, there's there's a lot of shots on dribble about uh, related to that. Um this particular one that I'm talking about is is I think you you were releasing the half liner which is like a a new uh scorebook that you released earlier this year. But, you know, that particular shot aside, you know, tell us tell us about the EFIS League and how it started. And it's I believe it started as a school project, right? And then it turned into this small business, really, for you, right? So I think that that's really fascinating to me. So I wonder if you could just tell us the story of of the EFIS League. Of course. <laughs> so at Auburn, your last semester, you spend uh, uh, in the graphic design program. You spend your last semester working on your scene, what's called your senior project, which is basically like a mini thesis. Um, so you have to define what the project is. A lot of people do companies or branding projects for restaurants. So everybody does something a little bit different. Uh, and then at the end, you have like a little show in a gallery and you show off the fruits of your labor. Um, and it's just a, a way to help people think about things on more of a macro scale and to have a really nice portfolio piece when they leave um, leave the program. So I knew that I wanted to do something baseball related and started looking at all the different things that I got the most excited about just in terms of visual visual design within baseball and was just trying to figure out what the niche was that I would focus on. And when I looked at the things that I just really loved, it was things like 
you know, the printed ephemera, like old ticket design and old, you know, uniforms and learning all the weird nicknames that players have had. <laughs> like there's like a book called Baseball Nicknames and I cannot remember the author's name off the top of my head, but it's just like a 300 page book that's just like a dictionary. And it's just like all these, all the like thousands and thousands of players who have played baseball, what their nicknames were and how they got that nickname. <laughs> oh, that's great. And it's amazing. Oh, that's great. Um, and so I just, I love those kind like, it's not, it's not even so much about the game itself or the players. It's more just like all the language and things that have popped up around baseball, yeah. like the cottage industries of baseball or whatever. Yeah. So I kind of decided that the way that I would categorize all that was baseball minutia and mm. um, came up with the name EFIS League because I had bought the typeface Casey from Font Bureau because I decided that I was going to use that to make my logo with even before I knew what I was going to call the company. Mm-hmm. And I set the word EFIS in it, and it looked really nice. So I was like, okay, that's what the company's going to be called. Love it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there's a story about the name, right? Yeah. And I'll admit, um, I, didn't, I didn't know the reference. And now I'm reading, reading like your uh, description of the project now I feel like a chump that I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know the, the reference. Well, I picked it. Another reason why I picked it was like I, I got a lot of pushback my, from my professors. They're like, I don't know how to say this. Like how? Like how can you? Like you're you're taking a risk by picking a name for this that a lot of people are not going to understand. Um, and I was like, well, if it's about like the minutia of baseball, you probably know what an EFIS pitch is, or you want to learn what a, about what it is. Um, so yeah. I, did, I, I considered it sort of like you're there, if you're into the site, you're probably going to know what the term is. And if, if you're not, then you'll learn it um, because you're going to learn about that and many other weird tidbits about baseball <laughs> while you're doing, while you're in the site. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, ter- the term refers to uh, like a, ve- a slow, like lob pitch. So if a guy normally throws like 93 miles an hour and then all of a sudden he throws a 65 mile an hour floater up there that kind of like loops and drops in, mm. that's called an EFIS. An EFIS pitch. That's amazing. Okay. And, and there's a quote attributed to a player who I cannot remember his name and he, he once described it as like EFIS ain't nothing. So it kind of like tied into the whole like minutia, um, thing. So. So that was. I think it's that. That was. I think it's perfect. I mean, there, the whole brand has this cohesiveness. It's kind of incredible, and the E, it looks amazing. And so, is the E part of um, the Casey typeface? Is that? Yeah, it's just it's just the E. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I didn't do any fancy lettering yeah. or anything. I, I can't. I can't letter. I just. I. I just like to pick a good typeface and let it do the work for me. Yeah. No. You and me both. But I mean, it's it's so, and we're going to get into type uh, in a minute too. But but the whole brand is is so cohesive, and it makes me want to. Well, it makes me want to go to a baseball game, which I I like to do, and um, we've got Fenway Park here, which is which is, I think that's why it, it resonates with me, or probably anybody that's near like a historic ballpark, right? Because it that's part of the experience. You said earlier about. It's not just about the players or the game. It's like this the stuff around it. I think totally agree with that. Like it's the hot dogs and the uh, nostalgia of it. You know, I remember yeah. uh, keeping score with my grandparent, my grandfather, and my dad. You know, when I was a kid, and I haven't kept up with it. But seeing the this these products that you're creating, like totally makes me want to <laughs> take a, a few of these to the game and and uh, and use them. So actually, I should let you explain. You know what the what what you what the project entailed in terms of creating sure yeah so when it originated as a student project my main focus was on the website and i i may which was basically like what is what would now be like a tumblr or something of just all these quotes and bits of information and imagery and things like that of all these little tidbits that i really liked about baseball and so um, I started. I focused on that, and I made some posters and a book and a few other things. And I, I when I was looking, when I was doing my research, I had found all these images of these very old, like pocket-sized scorebooks, and they used like a a grid format that I had never seen before. And for somebody who doesn't know what keeping score at a baseball game is. Um, it's like this this table like grid of cells um, with baseball diamonds on them, uh, and you put in the lineup of the players for each team. And every time they come to bat, 
you like jot down on a little baseball diamond, like basically like what they did. Did they get a single? Did they walk? Did they strike out? Um, did they fly out, ground out, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like this shorthand system of like abbreviations for the players involved in making the out. And there's all the, there, there's like a, it's pretty simple once you learn it, uh, but you can convey a lot of information about what happened uh, in a ball game with like all this, the very kind of relatively small amount of strokes um, and marks on paper, which I've always found really interesting. So I'd seen these little scorebooks and I was like, oh, well, that would give me something. If I made a scorebook, that would give me something else that I could make and actually have at my, at the gallery. So it's not just going to be like, here's a monitor with a website on it. And here's, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to have some more like things that people could pick up and actually look at. So it's like one line in my proposal for my senior project. It's like a footnote. It was not something I thought that anybody else would care about. Oh, wow. Oh, the, the scorebook itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So I, so I made that. I made that, and then after I graduated, um, I sent the website and um, some pictures of the things that I had made to Paul Lucas, who he writes a column for um, ESPN.com and runs a blog called UniWatch. Um, and he, I, I, through reading his work, I it was very obvious that he was an aficionado of just design in general, and he loved all the things about baseball that I loved. Um, and so I was like, well, this guy is kind of like, he would be the target audience for something like this if it actually existed. So I sent it to him and, um, he was nice enough to interview me and show some of the work on the site. And he asked his readers, he was like, is there anything that Bethany's made that you think, you know, that you would like to have? And I got probably 60-something responses, and almost all of them said they wanted the scorebook, uh-huh. which shocked me. Yeah, that's great. So I was like, okay, so maybe I need to actually look into getting these things made. And um, somebody suggested Kickstarter to me, which at that time was pretty new. Um, it was 2011. I had no idea what I was doing, and I submitted a proposal and got in, which shocked me because Kickstarter at that time was, you know, still very much in this. Kickstarter is not a store. Like, don't use this to make things that if you're just going to resell them. Right. And so I was nervous. And so I tried to pitch it as like, oh, this is like a revival of a lost art, you know, trying to like paint it in that light to to hopefully, you know, make it more of a uh, struggling to find the right word, but I didn't want it to just be like, Hey, I want to get this stuff made and I don't know how to get the money. So why don't you help me raise money? I was, you know, trying to find like, what, what's the greater good, like the cause behind this. And it was like, this is a beautiful thing that people don't do anymore. And maybe if we make it more accessible and make it, you know, presented in a more compelling package than like the ugly sheets that you get at the ballpark now, which are covered in ads and, you know, not well printed and, uh, uh, poorly designed, then, you know, maybe we could get more people to pick this back up and kind of revive it. So I put it on Kickstarter and raised like, I think $28,000 when I only wanted 10. So nice. got the, got the scorebooks and the various other things made. And that's kind of how it turned from being a school project of actually being a small business that I now had to run. <laughs> I was totally unprepared to, totally unprepared to figure out how to make that work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A good, I guess a good, in a way, a good problem to have for the, the, yes. the demand was there, right? Other people were like, yes. wow, this is, yeah, I've been looking for something like this. Um, I think it, it touches on a lot of things like data visualization and, and, and design and tactile things that you can hold. And uh, you're right about the, like the programs now in terms of keeping score, it's terrible. They're like glossy pages with ads everywhere. And, and that's yeah. not, that's not really, that's not exciting, but um, and so okay, so the the Kickstarter happened, and then um, and then it evolved into other things too, other products, and and now you know you're selling a bunch of different things, and you've released a new version of the scorebook, which looks gorgeous. What what's the future hold for for the for this little business? Because it's such a niche thing, it's not something that I ever feel like I could do. Like I'm going to quit my day job and I'm going to I'm going to do the Ethos League full time. Like right. I got a lot of people who ask me, like, why don't you do that? Why don't you turn it into a lifestyle brand? Mm-hmm. And it's because it's very hard to do that, and um, I'm risk averse, and so I kind of like the way that it exists in my life right now, which yeah. is that. I pay my parents to um, handle the kind of order fulfillment 
mm-hmm. because I don't have enough room to store all the books and things. And again, I'm moved so much. Like I, I can't have all that here. So everything still ships out of Auburn. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And wow. we're, we're all very good friends with the post office there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And um, it's just kind of this like, it's sort of like my little, it's like a creative outlet. It's not something that like, it's never going to like earn me uh, a lot of money, but it's just this opportunity that I have that if I have, you know, if I want to make something that I can use that as my creative outlet and get it produced and, uh, you know, sell it and maybe make my money back, maybe not. But, um, and it's, it, the, the, the nice thing about it from a scorebook standpoint too, is that, you know, you get to feel like you've, you've affected somebody's experience at the ballpark, yeah. which is really cool. There've been a lot of people who will write to me and say that they learned to keep score in one of the books or mm-hmm. that they give them to, um, their kids. Or, um, I had a really nice email from a guy a few years ago who always used to buy the programs at Wrigley. And now he uses the half liner. Um, and he talked about like all the things that he really loved about it. And you're, you know, this is a guy who's been a Cubs fan for 50 years and he's talking about like how this is a part of his daily like ritual now. And that's like so special. Um, and I couldn't have gotten that any other way. So I, I, I kind of like, I feel very lucky that it got to happen in the first place. And so I, if I get an idea for a shirt or a poster or another scorebook or something, I do what I can to get it made. Um, but I, I never want it to feel like oh, it's spring again and I need to make a new product for the EFIS League. I never want right. it to feel like work. It needs to feel, It needs to be like a, a like creative expression outlet fun thing because I feel like every time I've tried to put myself on a schedule with it, the quality of the work has suffered. Um, so it might be long stretches before there's, there's new stuff, but I have a lot of, I'm blessed enough that there are a lot of people who are, who like love the scorebooks as they are and are repeat customers and things like that. So it just kind of pays for itself and not much more and just kind of is this little thing that I have going in the side, which is nice. That's amazing. That's so, that's so cool. Having that creative outlet is, it must be nice. Uh, for sure, where you have complete control over something and, and you're not going to release it until it's it's exactly what you want, right? Um, yeah. That's super cool. Well, I'm gonna mi- the, the website redesign that just launched a few months ago, which the, I think that that's where that dribble shot came from. Like yes, that, yes. I worked on that for almost a year. Wow. It's wow. nice to not have to feel the pressure to like, oh my gosh, I have to get this out now because what? how is it going to affect my sales? Because, you know, it's not, I don't have to live, I'm not, I don't have to, like, that's not my, what, keeps my you know food in my belly and yeah, you know, pays yeah, yeah. my rent so, so. You, so you in that sense you can you can take risks with it a little bit right yes. Uh, yes. creative risks and um whereas yeah if it's paying the bills completely then then you can't it's a really good it's a really good point but i think you know the the your genuine love for the stuff and baseball and everything really shines through on on everything in, the, in there and i think that's why i'm sure that's why it's resonated with people I'm going to make a point to go to Fenway this year and score a game again. <laughs> you should do that, it. That, that's how. So that's that's how these like seeing your books. Like I'm like, yeah, I really, really now I really want to do that. Yeah, like so that's bravo. <laughs> Thank you. Bravo. Well, the baseball community is like. I found it to be even more accommodating and just filled with more gracious people than than even the design community. Um, I remember when I launched the EFIS League magazine, which nobody would have seen without Dribble, so thank you for that. Um, and I think that you actually tweeted about it, which was the only reason anybody looked at the post. Because I can remember like going to a meeting and coming back and it had like 200 or 300 likes and that was a lot for me at the time because I did not have a big following and I was like whoa I didn't expect that to take off (laughs) but where I'm getting to is that there's a guy who's from the UK who wrote me this long email about how he had visited the United States and didn't know anything about baseball but kind of stumbled into Fenway Park to watch a game and fell in love with baseball and he was like well you're in Boston now and you've made this magazine and I I I just want to thank you and he bought me and I told him that I'd never been to Fenway and he bought me tickets and that was that that was the way that I was able to go to a game at Fenway and and keep score so it was really cool that's amazing what a great story it's like I couldn't you couldn't tell it better than that actually <laughs> that's so cool um well yeah so everyone should check out the ephus ephusleague.com 
for a lot of reasons. I mean, even if you even if you aren't a baseball fan, for pure design reasons, you go there anyway. But um, if you are a baseball fan too, you're gonna you're gonna actually flip out um, and all the stuff there. So the next shot I want to talk about, I'm gonna move to another one, is a recent one actually, and that's the the value of multi multi typeface design. And this goes along with a talk you gave, I believe, and then also a, a Medium article, which I found really, really fascinating, the, the article itself and, and the fact that for some reason, we're, designers are taught, use as few typefaces as you, as you, <laughs> as you possibly can, or, or that's the way you should do it, or there's, there's sort of an unwritten rule there, right? And, and, then, and so the, your, your perspective on this article is like, you know, screw that. You can use a lot of typeface as well, and you and you do so in the shots and in the article and everything. It, it, you sort of demonstrate, like, look, you can combine a lot of different typefaces and still make them feel cohesive and part of the brand. So, anyway, I just I'd love to hear your motivation for the talk and the post and and um, and, and all that because the, the the finished product is is really stunning. So, thank you. That that was kind of spurred by. I had seen, I I was like told at various points in time, like this whole thing about you should not really, you know, you should kind of focus on using two typefaces in a design. If you feel like you need to add a third, like do it. But, you know, really, you know, what's the need for more than that many typefaces in a design. Um, and I don't even know if I was specifically told that in, in, in school. If I was, I didn't, I ignored it, (laughs) but I, I love typefaces and I like to find new ones and buy them and use them and play with them. And a lot of times I have a hard time deciding like which ones I want to use. So I end up using a bunch in designs and I'd had a lot of people ask me about that and say, you know, do you, why, why do you do this? And how, you know, how do you do it? And so like, it's one of those things where you kind of do something naturally and then you're, you're like, somebody brings it up to you and you have to kind of step back and say like, do I do this? Like, is this, is this a common thing that I'm doing? And then if it is working, then what, what is it about? Like trying to like take something that's intuitive for yourself and distill it out and try to break it into something that you can explain to somebody else. So um, that's kind of the genesis of the talk. And people always talk about just like combining typefaces, mm-hmm. which I feel like is one thing, but it's more than just that. It's like a, it's a systems thing. And everybody has a different opinion about that. I, most, most articles that I read about combining typefaces, I just vehemently disagree with everything they say. It's very subjective. So yeah, I tried to focus yeah. less about like, these are good fonts and these are bad fonts. And then just talking about like, here's things that you could look for in typefaces mm-hmm. that might make them work well together. Right, right. Here's, here's what um, works. And yeah. Yeah. Which I like a lot. I also love your, your example of like the turn of the century broadsides, which have, you know, tons of different typefaces, all different weights and styles and stuff. So it's, uh, do you think that there's a, there's a nostalgia there f- or does it does it resonate like in a in a vintage way then or cuz i you know looking at your example in the in the article at the top i mean these are all sorts of different typefaces each with their own personality but but the way you've put it together and this might be part of it too is the layout and the color and everything really like brings it together so it's like this this one thing even though it's a lot of different typefaces together I think that the, the there's definitely an element of nostalgia to it. And so like the piece the banner at the top of the article is like if it's referencing anything it's referencing like, you know, kind of the lowbrow like crappy sections in the back of a newspaper with sort of weird ads uh, yeah, that yeah. are like all kind of like splashed together with all these different Right, right. nothing, you know, and so taking the the charm of that which is like oh there's all these weird kind of maybe tacky typefaces and using them, but then like trying to apply some rules to them to like make them all behave together. So that's for that, that's for that piece. And then the broadsides, they use multiple typefaces in different styles out of necessity because basically their job was to fill the page um, with words and mm. leave as little white space as possible um, because you were wasting paper. Right, at that right, point. right. Of course, like yeah, if you're gonna put if you're gonna put up a poster, and you've got this much room, you use it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think that 
it might be that people react against that because that is, I mean, it's kind of lowbrow design. It's, you know, like not, it's not formal. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a design decision driven by necessity and not like, you know, principles, I guess mm -hmm. it, it would be one, like if you want to look at the snooty way of looking at it. Um, but I, I've, I love wood typefaces and the style of type that kind of emerged through that woodblock printing. Um, and so I've always been a fan of that kind of eclectic, like mix of, of things. Mm. And then when I was in school, there was a big, you know, kind of letterpress and vintage, like aesthetic revival going on. Um, and I really loved all that. So I'm sure that all that affected my aesthetic, like as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that all makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it almost brings like an art, like a more artistic lens to type and graphic design. You know, like the, by using all these different personalities. Obviously, it's it's really important to the the emotion that it conveys. You know, so uh, I I love it. I I like I love the I love the article, and I I hope people check it out because it's it's kind of. Um, it's kind of eye opening. It's like, wait a minute, yeah, wait. Who who said that we can only use uh, two typefaces? You know, let's have a headline font and a body copy font, and make sure you know those can be different. But I love I love things that are like questioning rules that might not really even be rules, right? So thanks for thanks for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for looking yeah. at it. Um, I I've given that talk a few times and. And then I like I was like, okay, you know, I might not get I not might not have the opportunity to give this as a talk anymore, so I need to convert it to an article. Yeah. And um, as I every time I'd given it, you know, I'd made slight adjustments to the slides and added stuff, and the article was the final like opportunity to say like, was there anything else that like? Because you know, sometimes sometimes when you're up on stage and you're giving a talk, it's just like, man, I wish I had a a better example there. I'd like to make that point, but I don't have a slide yeah. for it, and you know, just kind of. Um, so it was good to kind of like try to make the definitive version of, of that series of thoughts. Uh, um, and it's been well received. So I'm really happy about yay. that. I'm really glad you made it. Um, so the, the, uh, the last shot that we were going to talk about was, is the, uh, it's actually related cause it's in, it's in the article, the, the Tigre poster. La Tigre. La Tigre. Okay. I knew I was going to botch something. See, I did. <laughs> La Tigre poster one. So if, for this one, so we talked about it a little bit because this is like an example that you use as, of, of like combining a bunch of different um, black letter typefaces, which is cool. But I wonder if you could tell us like how, how you create, like what you use, what you use to create it. Like uh, you're using Photoshop or Illustrator, or you're using something different, or you start on paper, that kind of thing. Because everyone's always interested in process, and it'd be cool to hear how you put that one together. Sure. Well, with regarding process, I, I do everything on the computer. When I was working on the La Tigre, like the branding stuff, and I needed to have like a tiger head, I spent like a whole weekend trying to like do sketches of, of tigers in a sketchbook and was reminded why I never do anything on paper because I'm really bad at it. Those, t those art teachers I had when I was a kid weren't wrong. I can't draw. And I can barely write with, with, a, pen, with a pencil. My handwriting's awful. So I stick to the computer. And for something like that, which is type heavy, basically anything that I can find an excuse to do in InDesign, I do it in InDesign because the type tools yeah. are just much more robust. I even do websites yeah. so like the Ephus League website. All that was done in InDesign. InDesign. Yeah, nice. That makes sense. For for setting type, that's going to be your friend a lot more yeah. than... than uh, <laughs> some of the other programs that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Photoshop is really bad with type and illustrators. Yeah. Not great either. Um, so if I'm doing like in my day job, I end up using illustrator a lot because it's very like, you know, precise, like, you know, drawing, you know, interface elements and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. and sometimes I pull out Photoshop, like I actually tend to use Photoshop a lot for composing like dribble shots. Like I take pieces mm. and kind of like put them into that because it's a, it, that's kind of what it's for. It's saying I need to make a thing that's this big and I'm going to bring in, you know, stuff and, right. you know, try to make it look right. But yeah, the, the La Tigre poster was a giant, I think it's 11 by 17 total, mm. like InDesign yeah. file. And I just started filling it. Uh, the content of it is like a mix between like, there's some random stuff just about tigers just to try to like 
fill up the sheet. Yeah, and then yeah. when people at work say something that's funny or memorable, um, I plug it in to the poster. And so like <laughs> it's, it's, it slowly changes over time to be like, it, it's, it's almost entirely work related things and, and, and get in inside jokes right now. Which is wonderful. Uh, there's one that I, I like it when you call me big data it's, it's <laughs> yes. the, uh, in there, it's in the shot, which is yes. hilarious. That, that's gotta be, I assume that's gotta be like a work inside joke. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there's uh there's um great. there's where all a bunch of assholes is on there sorry i don't know if we can cuss oh uh, um, yes we can <laughs> why not that's that's something that one of my coworkers said to describe like designers as a profession one day so that's on there there's um there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of stuff that that um that i yeah it would take too long to explain all the jokes but uh, that's, that's where I go to whenever says, somebody says something funny, I pull out my phone. I'm like, that's going on the poster nice. and I make a note of it. And then I go in and edit. <laughs> that is great, man. So the inspiration is coming from all over the place. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time. You're busy in your busy day here. So thank you so much for talking with us. Cause it was really cool to hear about everything that you're working on. Um, where can people find you or you know online after this is over and then want to learn more about you and and buy your cool stuff and, and all that sure um my portfolio site is heckhouse.com um i'm on twitter at ephus league and you can look at the ephus league stuff at ephusleague.com and uh, i'm on dribble too so anything new that i do ends up there before it ends up anywhere else yay that's why we, we love seeing your new stuff and your old stuff, any stuff that you upload, <laughs> we love. Thank you. So thanks thanks, thanks for uh, being here again, Bethany. It is really uh, a pleasure, and keep up the awesome work, too, over there. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to Episode 4, and thank you to Bethany for being on with us today. And we hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, please rate and or review us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. And to find more episodes, just go to dribble.com slash stories where we talk to Dribble members and get the, a little bit more of the story behind their work. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>